Hey guys, it's Chase Will, host of the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Here to quickly let you know, I'm going to be at the Scares That Care 8, July 29th through 31st in Williamsburg, Virginia, where I'll have my coming-of-age novel Moving Through for sale, along with a special bonus book that will only be available at the convention. Be sure to hit the subscribe button for new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and follow me at chasewill.com. Enjoy the show! Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Chase Will. Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Today I'm joined by Rick Jones, the award-winning Horrify Me makeup and portrait photographer out of the UK. He runs Horrify Me UK. Rick, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks. And today we're talking about your favorite horror movie, Dawn of the Dead, the arguably best one, any kind of living dead movie there is. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't even think there's an argument to make. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to it's top just, that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think the zombie genre of films peaked very early. Um, it's, it's, I mean, if you can tell me a better zombie film, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Not The Walking Dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you a fan of the show? No, I never watch it. Oh, um, God. You're not missing anything. But that's not because of The Walking Dead in particular. I, I just can't stick out TV series. So oh, I yeah. just don't watch it. It's like a dedication of like 30 hours a season. This is too much. Mm. So uh, you do yeah. a lot of makeup work and I love your stuff on Instagram. Like anytime I see your stuff pop up, I'm like, holy shit. How does he do this? <laughs> like, what is the process going into that? Like, how do you, how do you go from concept to uh, a finished product? Um, well, the vast majority of what I do is, is um, portraits of people based as zombies or vampires or possessed demons you know that that kind of thing um some of the work i do as you probably know is a bit controversial i mean yeah. i've got into some shit from social media and various groups and things for some of the pictures but you know hey <laughs> close to the territory yeah i saw um, that one it was a uh, cannibal holocaust wasn't it was that the one that got like a lot of uh feedback one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of them i love funnily it enough, though uh funnily enough i think one photo that's caused me the most trouble is a little six-year-old boy holding his mother's decapitated head in his hand. Oh, that's adorable. Um, yeah, it was a cute picture. It was, it was fun to do. And, you know, I actually didn't think we were going to get the picture because they kept messing around and giggling, but we got the picture. But yeah, wow, did that cause me some shit. <laughs> <laughs> like going into it, knowing you're going to get some of that blowback, does that ever like deter you from taking on projects? Or are you just like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do? I don't give a shit. I'll just do what <laughs> yeah, so you know, I've had I've had um, a few run-ins with what you might call cancel culture or you know mm. angry mobs on the internet. I've had I've had quite a few of them. But uh, I think if you're doing any kind of work in in the public arena, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. Oh um, yeah, it's, it's not for everyone. Like whether it's writing, filmmaking, photography, people will always find something to complain about, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I suppose because. These days as well, everyone's very politicised, so there's a whole new kind of area of criticism that can be aimed at things now, rather than, you know, above just the, the, the sort of genre content. Um, I mean, the recent uh, Cannibal Holocaust-style shoot I did, um, I got called a, a toxic misogynist and all this kind of thing, and I'm like, well, no, it's just horror movie stuff. I'm not trying to make any political statements. I'm not right. trying to sway anyone's beliefs i'm not doing anything like that you know I'm, I'm literally just a horror lover that's it end of it's no more complicated than that for me 
Yeah, it's like if you love those old school horror movies too, like aren't they all in the same boat? Like the people who love those movies, it's like aren't they being kind of hypocritical by saying because you're representing those movies and you're doing your project that somehow makes you a bad guy? Yeah, I, I don't get it. That's I think that's the point of this. I don't get some of the criticism. You know, it just washes over my head a bit. But um, the stuff I do get is when they go, "Oh, that's disgusting. How could you fucking think of something like that? That's gross." <laughs> I get that stuff. You know, but when, it's like the when, highest compliment. Yeah, it means I did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I got to ask you about the Campbell Holocaust. When how did you do that? Like, what did you? How did you set that up with the sick coming out of her mouth and everything? Did you do it the same way uh, as uh, Ruggiero did? Yeah, I mean, I've done that shoot twice now, and um, the first one it was identical to the original film with the bicycle saddle, um, and the model just has very good core body strength to keep her, her body very upright. Uh, the second one, I wanted to do something a bit more challenging, so I had like the crucifixion element, you know, the, the crossbar. Um, that took a lot of figuring out, and mm. uh, I'm still not telling people how I did it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone's asking and I'm not telling. <laughs> uh, for the impalement one, how long did she have to sit up there like that? Because I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, that has to be the most challenging core workout ever <laughs> for even a short period of time. Like, how long did that photo shoot take? Oh, it's not long, actually. I mean, um, I think in the film, there was additional support features on, on, the, on the seat, which I, I didn't have. Um, obviously, they're, they're invisible to the camera. Because I didn't have these extra support things, um, I just said to her, just sit up there as long as you can. Don't worry about what I'm shooting. And as soon as you need to come down, just signal and we'll get you down. Um, and we had you know, a little team of people there, a uh, step ladder there. There was people to help her if she was going to fall. It, it was all very, very health and safety, all very risk assessed, you know. Um, so she was just kind of perched on that thing for a couple of minutes at a time. And then she came down, had a break, went back up again. And, and that's how we did it. It turned out amazing. I, I love it. <laughs> like I, I need yeah. to buy a print sometime from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'll send you one. Yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah. Um, going back to the Dawn of the Dead. Uh, how how old yeah. were you when you first saw this movie? Like, did it start your love for horror? Um, no, I think it shifted gear rather than started it because um, I was born in 1970. So when when I was a very very young kid. Uh, I'd seen King Kong at a very young age and fell in love with monsters. I saw Jaws when it was brand new. I was only five, but, you know, it was this sea monster with all this blood in the sea. I was just, ah, oh, man, it woke up something in my brain very early. Um, so I went through all the, the Hammer films and, you know, Dracula with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushion. So by the time I saw Dawn of the Dead, which was probably around about 1980, 81, on Betamax, um, it was just like, it left behind the horror I understood and went into the whole new realm of horror at the time, which was the gore, the, you know, the savage bites in the flesh and all this kind of thing. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it. And it's like, wow. And suddenly all the hammer stuff, just that's boring. That's crap. I don't want to watch that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch more of this. Um, so yeah, it, it left, it left a lingering kind of impression. Um, and cause I was quite interested in, uh, Dick Smith's makeup at a very young age. Um, that I mean, back then you couldn't buy anything. It was all just cotton wool and PVA glue on your face and poster paints. But um, I was trying to replicate makeups. So, you know, I found out who Tom Savini was at quite a young age and the film inspired me because the effects looked quite achievable for a kid. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's not down to Tom Savini being 
you know, um, no good at his job. It's just the budget, I guess. He just had a little budget to do a lot with. Um, so consequently, I felt like, well, it's just grease paint and a bit of eye makeup and a bit of fake blood. I could do that, you know. Um, and that kind of set me on my path at a very young age. And here I am, 50 plus, <laughs> still doing it. <laughs> now you're like a master of it. Did you ever read uh, Tom Savini's books too on makeup design? Yeah, I had Grand Illusion. Uh, I don't know what I've done with my copy, but um, it's probably around somewhere. But yeah, I had that. Um, I bought his recent book as well, um, his coffee table book. And obviously he um, wrote the introduction in my book, which is really nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's just like, I still pinch myself that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like meeting your heroes and they're actually everything you want them to be. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, yeah, talk about being careful meeting your heroes, but man, that, that guy's cool. He's good. I saw him at a convention. He was like by far the nicest dude. Like if you want to talk to him, like he'll sit and talk to you. Like he has no yeah. pretensions about anything. Like he just loves the genre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, that's how I first met him was at a convention, got talking to him. And, you know, that's how I ended up getting him to write in the book. So um, um, I, I kind of blame him for the path I took in life. So um, <laughs> <laughs> blame or credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so did you know, like when you were growing up in like the golden age of horror, was makeup like directly the first thing you wanted to do? Or did you try other avenues too? Um, no, my, my interest is more in sort of art and design. Um, I mean, I'm fine art trained and I've never had any makeup training. Um, but the, I think the skills are quite transferable. You know, you get a sense for design and, and where to put paint and things like that. Um, but the horror makeup was always just like a, a fanciful hobby. I never thought there'd be a career in it, especially especially in Kent in the UK. There's just nothing, you know. Um, and I mean, the way Horrify Me happened was all just a complete accident. It came out of the design job. Um, it all started with zombies um, because part of my job, I've always done like uh, book covers for authors as, as part of the work. Um, and then there was a, an author who had a horror novel called Lisa Richardson. Um, and she had this book out and it wasn't selling. So she says, are you that horror guy that does book covers? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she asked me to look at this book cover and do a, a, a new cover for it, which was like literally the most exciting job I've ever, ever had in my life. Um, and in the, uh, my brain went straight to Dawn of the Dead to do this book cover, how to put the makeup on, how to shoot it and everything. There was a lot of photoshopping to make the book cover work, but, you know, it was basically Dawn of the Dead makeup. Um, so even later on in life, that film is still inspiring me. Um, and it still does to this day, you know, and I get people coming in wanting to be zombies. Um, and they've watched The Walking Dead. They want the big gash in their cheek and I want all the teeth showing. But I'm still thinking Tom Savini's early stuff because, you know, get your hands dirty on it, get the grease paint out and the blood. And yeah, it's like, it's almost like a purity to it too. And it's like hands on like that, like not the CGI yeah. zombies, like not like the overemphasized zombies, just like that pure and grimy, like, uh, like the undead look, like those are my yeah. favorite ones. I mean, I suppose the thing, um, I mean, I can't offer any original insights into Dawn of the Dead. Cause I, I mean, I love the satire and the social commentary, all the things that we all know about, but, I guess the thing that really stands out about the film now, all these years later, is we're now in an era of zombies being very heavily designed. If you know what I mean, they've got like leathery skin and all the teeth are showing, the lips are all hanging below the chin, the chins and that sort of thing. Um, but when you look at Dawn of the Dead, the zombies are still people. 
they're human, they're recognisable human beings. Do you know what I mean? Um, and because I'm doing portraits of people that one of the other characters, it's quite important that I, that I maintain that recognition because you cover someone in too many prosthetics, you lose the person, you're just looking at a, a canvas of the prosthetics and paint. Um, whereas to me, having the person present in, in the portrait is quite important. Yeah. So that, that, another thing Dawn of the Dead's kind of keeping me on track with, you know. Because I feel like when you have like that layer of humanity underneath where it's still visible, that's more uncanny, that's more unsettling, where it's like, yeah. I see the person in the monster still. Like I see the personality traits in them. Like they're not just strictly the other. They are a person who I now have to kill. Because like, yeah. you know, it has that look in their eyes still. It has that, you know, the person. And that to me is so much more unsettling. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I know... Uh, Tom Savini has himself mentioned that the use of the grey grease paint wasn't the best idea he's ever had. But but I love it. You know, I love the simplicity of it. I love the fact that the, the zombies are kind of colour coded for our for our, our reference when watching it. Um but it it keeps them as human, whereas when I think that the modern zombies, they're so over-designed that they, they become something other than human. Do you know what I mean? That they're, they're more like monster movie characters rather than um, yeah. That there us, we're them, there us. You know, that's that's the line from uh, Night of the Living Dead. So, yeah, it's yeah. like we're fighting like something we identify with so much more closely than like if you're fighting, say, the Wolfman or a vampire. It's like no, the Living Dead, they are just mm-hmm. dead. They are the reanimated people who you might we might have once loved. It's like you're fighting yeah. something much closer to you. I think, well, in, especially in cinematic terms, if, if the creatures are too corrupted and distorted you, you lose that connection of them you know from from the human race um whereas the zombies in the early films i guess because of the makeup limitations and the budget limitations they still feel like part of the human race it's, it's um i think george romero once said it's like one generation eating the next generation literally um so there is more of a, a human struggle there. Now, working in a portrait work and makeup design, what are some of the challenges that go along with that? Because this is all completely new to me personally. Like I've never done what you do, but like, what are some of the things that you have to like heavily prep for other than just like, you know, what kind of makeup are going to use and that sort of thing? Um, well, just being well prepared is, is a key thing. Because um, usually if I'm sort of doing a zombie makeup on someone, Nine times out of ten, I've never met them until they, they walk through the door. So I just have to have a good kit box. Um, so I've always got a few little prosthetic scars and scabs I can glue on. Um, but I also sculpt things, you know, on the day out of the kit box. So it's very, very old school, but, you know, kit box makeup. Um, other shoots, yeah, take months and months of preparation. Like when I did my alien shoot, I was spending months building the alien head and the teeth and body parts you know um and they all get used for one day for one shoot and they all get ditched (laughs) (laughs) you don't ever like save mementos no they're not built to last that's the thing they're built to look great in a shoot and then they usually get ruined um and i the the legend devil um you know the tim curry legend oh yeah um i did my own version of that once with a guy who had lots of muscles and he's a bodybuilder so i built these giant horns they were a bitch to build I'm never doing it again. But what did you use? Uh, was it styrofoam, or how did you make them like light out around his head? The the actual horns were made out of EVA foam, 
Okay. Um, I, I think a lot of cosplayers use that. It's, you know, for like gym flooring um, with a heat gun and lots of glue and lots of swearing <laughs> when it doesn't go right. <laughs> um, but it also keeps them quite lightweight. Um, but yeah, the, the amount of effort I put into making them and did the shoot and the shoot was great. And that's it. Done. Can't keep them. So you're in your fifties now. You say you've been doing this for quite a while. Like, where do you see the makeup industry going from here? As far as like what's being done, as practical effects and things. Um, personally, I think practical makeup's got a really, really good future. Um, and being in this line of work, I get to meet lots and lots of up and coming makeup artists. Um, you know, I'm just kind of one of the stops they make on their way to whatever career or whatever university they're going to. Um, and what's really interesting is prosthetics makeup now seems to be dominated by female students. Um, so all the up-and-coming talent is, you know, young girls making people look like Tom Zavini used to make people look, like Rick Baker used to do. Um, and there's such a, I don't know, there's such an appetite for it in audiences as well. I mean, every time a new film comes out that's got practical effects, it's kind of one of the selling points, isn't it? You know, um, so yeah, I think it's got a great future. and, and I'm, and all the young girls who are students now that are doing this stuff, 20 years when they're, you know, embedded in the industry, I, I think we're going to have a, another golden age of horror. That's what I think. I hope I so. Hope. <laughs> yeah. It's like CGI to me will never take away practical effects. Like no matter how good the CGI is, like you cannot go without practical. Like that makes such better monsters, such better scenery. It makes everything pop more. Yeah, I mean, the thing with CGI, all, all CGI has done to me um, is made me appreciate how bloody good films were in the 80s. Um, <laughs> and I'd much rather see a dodgy rubber puppet monster than an awesome CGI monster, because the difference is that the CGI monster doesn't have presence. And the realistic underskin muscle movements, all this stuff they can do now with CGI, that you can't beat presence, something that's there, you just can't beat it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's just my opinion, obviously. But Like in uh, John Carpenter's The Thing versus the remake of The Thing, where it was uh, practical versus CGI, like anybody mm -hmm. with you know half wit can say that the original one was so much better than that remake or reboot or whatever you want to call it, just because of the effects, like the makeup effects, the practical effects, those sold that movie and made it so much scarier. It's not, it's not just the creatures. I mean, at the, at the start of The Thing, there's, there's a bit I always talk about where, um, I mean, right at the start of the film, where the helicopter's chasing the, the dog. And the dog runs into frame, and then an explosion goes off right behind it, and then the helicopter comes into frame, and it's all just so immaculately timed to make that scene. And they had to do that, you know, with a dog and an explosion and a, hel and a helicopter. And, you know, these days, they'd have shot all three parts separately and put a composite together of, for that scene. But, you know, back then they just did it. Mm -hmm. Better filmmakers, you know, what can you say? There's like so much the craft, more risk. The, the craft of filmmaking has really changed, but it's, it's yeah, it's changed to, to the point where there's no risk needed anymore. There's no, there's no kind of um, problem solving now other than I'll just give it to CGI guys. That's the problem solving now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Rick, where can people find your work online? You're all across social media, correct? Yeah. Um, Horrify Me UK on uh Instagram. I'm banned on Facebook, I think, again. Um, <laughs> Me too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well. I don't use it very much though. Uh, or you can go to the website, which is horrify.me.uk. Okay. So. Oh, Rick, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you giving me your time. No problem. It's been a pleasure. All right. You have a great day. <laughs>